Greetings, Word Horde. We're here with an exciting option for you, a version of our podcast without any ads. That's right. No advertising interruptions, just the content you love, ready to go in your favorite podcast apps like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It's another way to support the show, ensuring that we keep bringing you the word stories and language explorations that you love. Try it at waywardradio.org slash adfree. And it's affordable. For just a small subscription fee, you can enjoy Away With Words uninterrupted, except by us. Plus, it makes a great gift. Know somebody who loves language as much as you do? Give them the gift of words. Easy to sign up, easy to enjoy. It's the same Away With Words, just streamlined for your listening pleasure. Go to waywardradio.org slash adfree. Support us, support the show, and enjoy an ad-free listening experience. waywardradio.org slash adfree. Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words, a show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. When I think of the term Victorian England, I often think prim and proper, but boy, they had some great slang back Mm. in those days. I've been going through a 1909 volume called Passing English of the Victorian Era, a dictionary of heterodox English slang and phrase. And there's such great slang in here. For example, do you know what mind the grease means? Mind the grease. Mind the grease. Don't know. It's what you might say when you're in a crowd and you're trying to get by. Mind of the grease. Oh, weird. Or how about this one, butter upon bacon? Butter upon... Oh, this is one one good thing after another? Well, it's sort of like extravagance. I've seen it in in a lot of books from that period, meaning just something that's too extravagant. It's butter upon bacon, Mm, you know. And I guess today it would be somebody wearing too much makeup Mm -hmm. or their prose is too flowery. It's just too, too much. Mm -hmm. And I love this one, too, to walk in everlasting shoes. I have no idea what that means. To die? No, that's a great guess. And to be buried standing? I don't know. (laughs) What is it? No, to walk in everlasting shoes is to go barefoot. There's something so poetic about that. So I have some more of these. I'll share them later in the show. Groovy. And the book is what again? The book is Passing English of the Victorian Era, a dictionary of heterodox English slang and phrase. And we can can, find that online, I bet. You can find it online. Give us a call, 877-929-9673, or send your questions and comments and thoughts about words and language and everything related to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, is this Martha? This is Martha. Who's this? This is Sarah. Actually, I happen to be in Philadelphia at the moment, but I live in Santa Fe. <laughs> oh, okay. So, You just yeah. happen to be in Philadelphia. Okay. What's got you all worked up, Sarah? <laughs> so I have a, a kind of a new boss. And she was asking me to relate um, an incident with my fellow employee. And my fellow employee basically stood up and said, I'm not going to listen to you. And I'm, I'm, I'll let you do the work and then present me with a presentation later. And I was like, okay. And so when I related the story, I actually related it and used his accent. And I didn't even realize that I was doing it. And she got a little bit upset. And said so I was making fun of my coworker, and I said, "No, I'm, I'm not doing that at all." And I even called my former boss, and he said, "Oh, yeah, that's just one of your, you know, weird habits that you have." And I said, <laughs> "So it's pretty normal then?" And he said, "Well, I've learned to realize that it's not much of anything, and and that you do when you say things verbatim." And I was a county director at a welfare office for ten years, so I would have to repeat conversations. As best I could, and Uh I would always do that. Apparently, Uh so why do I do that? But apparently, it's not—it's a problem. So it's getting you in trouble. Do people think that you're making fun of the people that you're imitating? My fairly young boss, who lacks humor because she's not been a boss for very long, so she doesn't understand (laughs) management. I don't. Oh, now don't be ageist. She may have less humor as time goes on. <laughs> Let's focus on you for a minute, though, and focus on the, the accent of the okay. man that you were imitating. What is his accent? Where is he from? He's from Nigeria. Ah, okay. Uh-huh. So to, to, mm-hmm. to zero in on this question here, so Martha already kind of picked out the one thing that I was going to pay attention to, which is you're getting in trouble for this. And in the boss-employee relationship, if the boss says something is a problem, it's a problem. 
Yes. And yes. so, so just on, the, on that pure kind of human dynamics alone, you need to look at this. Now, something that goes on your credit side of your ledger, really, is that everyone does this to a degree. This is the way we form group cohesion. We do a certain kind of assimilation and mimicry, not just of accents and, and voices and tone, but uh, the body posture as well and facial say, expressions. gestures. Yeah, the and... way we tilt our heads, the way yeah. we move our hands. Yeah, we These, mimic people. We mimic. But if it's done mm-hmm. to an extreme... Mm-hmm. It can be seen as condescending and even offensive, as particularly if the person is very different from you. Or it can even be seen right. as co-opting. Yeah, um, I was going to say. Borrowing culture and, that you're not entitled to. Yeah, Would you be comfortable doing right. it if that guy were in the room? I probably would do it. See, that's how that's how much I don't I don't realize I do it. Oh. And, um, so, so if and it, my boyfriend is, my boyfriend's from Mexico, so my son gets, very upset with me because he's, he can always tell me, he says, oh, I guess your boyfriend was over recently. And I'm like, why do you say that? And he said, because your syntax is just horrible right now. Ah. And, you know, clearly I pick up and mimic other people. And, and, and if I was talking to my boyfriend at length, I'll end up, I guess, being sympathetic to his understanding of English. And I probably should really force myself to speak better English so he learns better English, but sometimes it's just easier and faster and more expedient to do it his way. What you're looking at here is a really interesting workplace dynamic. The age of your boss doesn't matter here. Um, The way that you are being perceived matters the most. And one of the things that Martha and I often come down to is like, if what you're doing is getting in the way of good communication, then you need to look at it and fix it. And it sounds like that's what's happening here. Right. And I've, I've really made an effort. Like when I when I related it to you, I didn't use the accent. I was mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to continue to do that because I'm going to try to really consciously try not to do that as much as I can. I've got a couple of strategies for you that I think might help. One is okay. don't repeat the words verbatim. Oh, that's a good idea. Just paraphrase, really. Yeah. Summarize. Just come up with the nut. Na- and then you won't naturally as f- easily fall into the tendency to imitate their cadence and, and so forth. The other thing is, okay. and I've talked about this in the show before, try the rubber band trick. Put a rubber band on your wrist. And when you find yourself doing this, snap that rubber band. And it stings <laughs> just enough that it will distract you from your behavior and remind you, oh, yeah, the rubber band says I'm not supposed to do this. That's excellent. I'm going to do it. It's a small, dumb thing that can it can work for a variety of like personal tics and behaviors. Yeah, I find that really interesting because because I think we're talking about the difference between imitating somebody and um, and and as you said, telling a story about paraphrasing it. I I think that's a really good way to approach it. Is just just paraphrase without trying to to render the situation in real time. Right. It's not a performance. Exactly. It's a report. Exactly. Right. But, okay. but you're saying you, okay. you absorb some of the ticks anyway. I will try like. hard not to do that. Yeah. I but, will really, you know, I don't want to be in trouble at work. It's just not, you know, five well, years from retirement. That's not worth no. it. No, <laughs> Sarah, it sounds, like you're, it sounds like you're in a really good mood about this, which I love. And it sounds like you're, um, you know what's up. And it sounds like when you call us again in the future, you're going to have something new to report. And she'll probably oh, sound okay. like us. <laughs> Sarah. <laughs> thank you so much thank for you. taking my call. Our okay. pleasure. Thanks Glad to have lot. you on the show. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Sarah. Bye-bye. If you want more information about this, everyone, I'm talking to the listeners, Google communication accommodation theory. And it's a fancy word Uh for basically we as humans, because we're a gregarious species, tend to try to sound like the rest of the group. This is a really natural thing that she's doing, but she's taking it almost to, like, the actor's level of imitation, yeah, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's a gift in some ways. Right. But... Maybe she's a great, like, party mimic, like when she does, oh, like, yeah. the funny grandpa jokes or whatever. Yeah. Maybe it comes out and it's wonderful, <laughs> but it sounds like in the workplace it's not really the place. That's, that's a very good distinction. Yeah. We'd love to hear your question about language, so call us, 877-929-9673, or send it to us in email. That address is words at waywardradio.org. Another wonderful bit of Victorian slang, a collie shangles. A collie shangles, a, yes. a mess? Close, close. It's a quarrel. A quarrel. Queen Victoria herself wrote this quali- in her diary. A collie quali- quali- shangles. It's mm. apparently a Scottish term that uh, has to do with, with literally a fight between dogs, between collies. Oh, interesting. I'll have to look we that up in the Scottish shangles. Oh, cool. Yeah. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org and find us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Hello, you have a way with words. 
Well, hello. This is Rena Peterson. I'm calling from Dallas, Texas. Hey, Rena. Welcome to the show. Hi there. How's everything? Well, I have an odd question, <laughs> and I hope it doesn't sound prurient. It really isn't. Uh, I was wondering the origin of the term going commando. My heavens. I've seen it referenced on some sitcoms and in reference to the infamous scene with uh, Sharon Stone and Basic Instinct. But the reason I really wanted to know was I was doing some research on a project about Burma and the Office of Strategic Services battles there in Burma and the information about Merrill's Marauders. And... Uh, I was just curious. I saw it in reference to that, in particular, the Merrill's Marauders. They started out with 3,000 soldiers in the unit, and because they had to battle not only the Japanese, they battled typhus and malaria and dysentery, uh, that they often just had to cut a slit in the back of their uniform so they could just keep on fighting. Um, And I wondered, well, was that the origin of the phrase going commando, or did it come from somewhere else? Ooh, that's uh, that's what a new, story. That's wow. new information. You know, we have yeah. talked about this on the show before. I think it was in 2008. And when we aired that episode, we got a really nice, I think it was a call from a listener who I believe had fought in Vietnam and said to us, the thing about going commando isn't that it shows that you're a badass. It's just simply more comfortable because the GI-issued underpants weren't all that comfortable. Oh. <laughs> right? And so that was his proposal. And we had a few other people hmm. kind of chime in and say, yeah, that sounds about right. I don't know about the Merrill Marauders' connections to this. Um, the earliest use that we have in print is from 1974, but it's probably hmm. older than that. And, mm-hmm. yeah, that's going to surprise a lot of people that Go Commando has got like a solid 40 years of history. Uh-huh. But um, but not as far back as well, what Well, uh, Merrill's Marauders, about. what year are we talking about? What are we? What is that? Well, that would be World War II, 43 to 45. 43 to 45, uh-huh. yeah. We don't have the evidence in the mm-hmm. printed record, but that is new evidence. I haven't heard that before about intentionally having a slit in the back of the pants to better handle the... The disease, Why? the dysentery, that sort of thing. Mm. But uh, yeah. It makes sense. It does make sense. But it's a little different than actually just going without underpants. But it is an interesting phrase. You see it come up mostly in sitcoms now, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, yeah. the famous one is an episode of Friends where Joey puts on all of Chandler's clothes and does, like, lunges and says that he's going commando in his roommate's <laughs> clothes. I haven't heard of that one. 1996. It seems like the kind of thing you'd show up on Seinfeld or something. Yeah, 1996. And that, that, a lot of people think that that Friends episode popularized the term, but it did exist at least 20 years before that. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. Thank you so much. It makes sense that probably it, it came to the public uh, attention after Vietnam or during Vietnam. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much Thanks for your for call. Thanks for sharing that story. It. Well, no, yeah. thank you. I love the show. Take care now. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Give us a call, 877-929-9673, or email us, words at waywardradio.org. Listener Jack Price wrote us with a word he'd like to popularize, amberbivalence. Amberbivalence? What's that? Any guess what that is, amberbivalence? I don't know. It's the hesitation you experience while approaching a yellow light while driving, right? I see. Can I make it? Yeah, exactly. Really make it? Betty, don't. Exactly, (laughs) yeah. And remember when we had that conversation about stale green lights? Yeah. Stale green light is a light that's just about to change to Stale green light, right? And you're you're like, do you gun it or do you break it? Exactly. That's the question. So you have amberbivalence. Amberbivalence. I like that. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. And the Twitter handle is W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Your questions, our answers. It's all about learning how to listen to language. Stay with us. Got a minute? We need your help. Head over to gum.fm slash words and share your thoughts in our quick survey. Your feedback matters. It's the backbone of our show's success. Thanks for making our show even more successful. That's gum.fm slash W-O-R-D-S. Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. And on the line is the magical man from New York City, our quiz guy, John Chinesky. Hello, John. 
Hi, Grant. Hi, Martha. How Hi, are you guys John. today? You do do magic, right? A couple tricks, cards, I do. I do. I have a couple of things in my pocket that I keep around just in case. Like uh, a I quiz, also, maybe? Uh, like a quiz. Like this po- This quiz could be magic. Who knows? <laughs> That's fine now. Sure it will be. Yeah. Segway. This is, uh, <laughs> this is called uh, Best Emails. Uh, now, my email is chineski at aol.com. Anyway, it's it's served me well for many many years. Obviously, it's an AOL uh, address, mm-hmm. but I've always wondered who owns John at AOL.com. You know, it, it seems to me that that guy he got in right at the gate. Mm-hmm. You know, he mm-hmm. probably works for AOL or something. I right. guess. But now, it occurred to me that there are lots of savvy people out there, and I bet lots of them have some really apt emails. Uh, for example, I'm sure there's a short order cook out there who snagged the email, eat at joes.com. That would be pretty good, Mm -hmm. right? So Mm -hmm. I'll give you a clue to a person and their email. Uh, Basically, we're looking for a a phrase that contains at. In fact, if you write down blank, at blank, that might help you in solving this. All right. All right. Here we go. I'd feel pretty good about my legal representation if he or she was savvy enough to snag this email. Attorney at law.com. Yes, attorney at law.com. Very good. Probably somebody has it. You never know. These people will be getting emails, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Perhaps you work in video editing for a television news show. This would be a very cool email for you. Live at 5.com? Oh, that's good. Film at at 11.com? Film at 11.com is what I was going for, but live at 5 is perfectly fine, yeah. (laughs) Now, famous people. They're sharp. They probably acquired or would have acquired some perfect emails. Isaac Newton would have picked an email that illustrates the subject of his first law of motion. Objects at rest. <laughs> yeah, objects yes, at rest. Nice. Objects I like that at one. rest.com. <laughs> Johnny Mathis, the great singer of standards, was quick enough to grab an email that echoes the first line of his most famous hit. Oh, Lord. Chances are my composures. <laughs> well, one of his most famous hits. Uh, this is uh, if you're as helpless as a kitten up a tree, you might. Uh, you, if you don't, if you don't um, know it, look at me. Look at me.com. Yeah, that's of course that's an Apple nice. address. <laughs> yeah. If Martin Luther King were alive today, he might reserve this email that calls forth the ending of his famous "I Have a Dream" speech. Don't have Contents of the character. Yeah. The yeah. ending? Right. He echoes, oh, hello, free at last. Oh, yes. free at last. Lord of mercy. Free at last yeah. dot com, of course. Dot last com. Dot com. Yeah. <laughs> Truman Capote would probably have to clear this email, inspired by one of his novels, with a famous jewelry store. Breakfast, Breakfast at, at Tiffany's. Dot com. Dot com. Oh, right. I totally Breakfast. have to go email that one. That one seems like like it's really likely that it exists already, Somebody's right? got that? Mm. Yeah. Somebody yeah, inside of Tiffany's just has a little autoresponder that says, uh-huh. you know, sends back a little coupon <laughs> We're glad you like the book. We're glad you like the movie. Come visit the store sometime. Finally, uh, President Andrew Jackson was so dual crazy, he participated in anywhere from 13 to hundreds of them, depending on what source you check with. He probably would have wanted an email reflecting that. Dawn at 20 paces.com? No, no, the dawn part. I like to have the dawn part. In Handbags here. at dawn. <laughs> Handbags? Have you heard that That's expression? Handbags no. at dawn? <laughs> no, but what do people <laughs> usually Brooke. use in a duel instead of handbags? Um, <laughs> pistols. Guns. Pistols. Yes. Pistols at dawn? Pistols at pistols dawn. Pistols at dawn.com. Right. Very good. I don't know. Whew. So, now how can we reach you guys? What's your email? Night to... at the opera.com. <laughs> that's, that's how you no. can reach Grant. No. Night Words at, at waywardradio.org. That's the one you need to remember. Yeah. That's the one I'm going to write to and tell you guys how great you did at this quiz. John, thank you so much. Thanks, buddy. Thank Appreciate you, it. Thank you, Grant. This is a show about words and language and how we use them. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Find us at the Twitter handle wayward. That's W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. And we're on Facebook. We've got a really lively community there. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, how are you? My name's Eric. Uh, I'm calling from Indianapolis. Great. And um, I'm having a little bit of a word crisis that I was hoping you guys could help me out with. Oh, no, a crisis. Um, We'll send the word EMTs right over. What's up? (laughs) I I grew up in a very small town where it's not unusual to hear things like warsh and y'all and, you know, all these kind of uh, little backwater terms, one of which I have heard consistently my whole life is, well, the word is cavalry, 
which I know we don't really use in everyday language or everyday, you know, conversation. Right. But we use the, the, the phrase, here comes the cavalry, a lot for just little, you know, little things. Right. Um, except that's not what I hear. Around here, it's cavalry. Here comes the cavalry. Oh, nice. Oh, dear. And, yes. Even when I was little, <laughs> like I'm, you know, a seven-year-old kid going, oh, that's not right that's not correct i love that i said oh yeah because i was excited about the linguistic thing that was happening and martha's like oh dear because she all she could hear was the solacism (laughs) (laughs) well great well but then i you know i moved to a larger town for college here comes the calvary then i moved to the biggest city in the entire state where Here comes the calvary indiana (laughs) and it has driven me nuts my entire life so now i'm just i'm calling for help wait eric before we before you want to go any further, I need to stick up for all of the American South and say that when you say that y'all is a backwater term, <laughs> you got some explaining to do. <laughs> uh, no, hey, I say it. I say y'all all every right. day of my life. So oh, I'm, I don't know if I'm that gets you off the good, hook. but <laughs> Good. All right. So you are calling for the linguistic cavalry, right? Oh. Yeah, linguist- so. Yeah, yeah. The linguistic people mounted on horseback coming to the rescue, yeah. right? And what you're hearing is people saying, here comes the Calvary. And, uh-huh. Yeah, and those of us who grew up in the church in particular always heard <laughs> Calvary as a religious term, correct? Sure, absolutely. So you have to spell these because they sound amazingly alike. Yeah, they do. They and do. L's and R's are so tricky in language and anyway. And metathesis, right? Yeah, is that the, what's happening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So C-A-L-V-A-R-Y with Correct. the L. Calvary. Is the mountain that Jesus was crucified on, right? Yes. yes. And C-A-V-A-L-R-Y is the military horse brigade or whatever yeah. you want to call it, yes. right? Soldiers on horses. Yes. Or soldiers on tanks. Yes. And I think it is really easy to confuse those just when you're talking really quickly. But but the way that I remember the difference is that cavalry has to do with all these horse-related words. It goes back to caballarius uh, uh, in Latin. A caballero in Spanish. Caballero oh, in, okay. in Spanish right. is a gentleman caballo. who rides the caballo, mm-hmm. correct? And cavalry is also related to the English word cavalcade, which, you know, is originally a parade of horses. The cavalry uh, was the was the hill on mm-hmm. which Jesus was crucified outside the walls of Jerusalem. That's related to the Latin word calvarium, which means skull. Ooh. And the that's okay. a Latinized version of the term for that hill in Aramaic, which, um, which came into English as Golgotha or Golgotha, either way, because the hill on which Jesus was crucified is in the shape of a skull. Wow. Yeah. Church lady bringing it. But wait, there's more. (laughs) There's more. And here's what's so cool about that. That comes from the Latin word for skull, calvarium. Yeah. That finds its way, the same root finds its way into the English name Calvin, which means literally bald headed. Mm -hmm. And the Spanish word calvo, which means bald. How about them apples? Yeah, so... Stuff I didn't know. How about that? That's how I remember the difference between cavalry and <laughs> cavalry. Although course. it's it's really hard when you know to mix or in the short up. version, the LV version is Jesus's place of death. <laughs> the the VAL right, right. version is the horses. Right. So. Right. So if I hear somebody say, "Here comes the cavalry," I'm <laughs> totally allowed to correct them now, like for real. Oh well, now that's a different question, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Who are you but talking with? You could with? say, "Hey, this is really cool. Did you know cavalry comes from the Latin right, for right. skull?" Okay. Or, or you can just, you know, have a warm glow inside, remembering this conversation <laughs> that you had with Martha Absolutely. and Grant about the marvels of etymology and the way words are connected. Thank you very, very much. Yeah, sure, You're more than welcome. Bye, Eric. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Find us on the Twitter handle, W-A-Y-W-R-D. And we've got a super lively Facebook group that you are welcome to join. Grant, do you know what a knowledge box is? Your noggin? 
How did you know? I don't know. That's very good. <laughs> yes, yes. The earliest reference I've heard to knowledge box being slang for head is back in 1755 when somebody wrote about fighters and one of them gives him a damn drive in the bread basket and almost cracked his knowledge box. Sports writers, man. They've always yep. used colorful language. <laughs> that could work today almost, that right? That could. That could. <laughs> We'd love to put more in your knowledge box, so call us 877-929-9673 or send your question about language to words at waywardradio.org and find our very active group on Facebook. Hi, you have a way with words. Hi, Martha and Grant. This is Katie in Baltimore, Maryland. Hi, Katie. Katie. How are you doing? I'm very well. How are you guys? Doing well. What's going on in Balmer? You've got the accent right. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I'm a subscriber to an online newsletter called Introvert Dear. Um, I'm a self-described introvert and um, I kind of take interest in the culture surrounding that. And recently I came across an article on introvert deer regarding Google's definition of an introvert. And the contributing writer was saying how much it bugged her. And I have to say, when I read the definition, it also bugged me too. And so she had set up a petition asking Google to change that definition and with, um, with all your expertise and, and, of course, Grant's experience as a dictionary writer and editor and lexicographer, I was wondering what you guys thought about that and the possible success of the petition and how that might go. Mm, they want to change the definition? And what do they yes. want to change it to? Well, the Google definition, um, I can read it to you. It's actually it's so terrible. Okay. It is a shy, reticent person a person predominantly concerned with their own thoughts and feelings rather than with external things. And number one, that sounds very selfish to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I kind mm-hmm. of take umbrage to that as an mm-hmm. introvert. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what she proposed was a definition as follows. Someone who has a preference for minimally stimulating environments due to a difference in the way sensory input is processed in the brain. And I think that's certainly much more accurate. Hmm. So, um, so your difficulty with the original definition is shy, selfish, yeah. selfish, yeah. Selfish. Well, it doesn't say and selfish, reticent. yeah. But that's just one definition. Now, Google gets that definition from another dictionary. They didn't write that themselves, right? I imagine not. Mm-hmm. And she also mentioned the Cambridge Dictionary Online mm-hmm. definition, mm-hmm. which says someone who is shy, quiet, and unable to make friends easily. Ooh, now that's kind yeah, of... Yeah, which is yeah. even worse. I sure have seen a lot of uh, introvert pride online lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of yes. people on Facebook posting things about, this is how introverts really are, you don't understand us, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. The internet is made, exactly. for, it's made for introverts, though, right? I, I, <laughs> I don't I have to be social that. unless I want to be social. Right? I'm not... That is a very good point. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like, I once read that, that those cat videos are sort of like um, you know, introverts' versions of dog parks. I'm just going to YouTube watch so funny, yeah. I love that. <laughs> I, I'll have a thousand things to say, but I think the first one is here, just to kind of cut this off a little bit, because we could go on for an hour about this, Sure. is I'm not sure that addressing the dictionary definitions is the way to go about changing people's understanding of what an introvert is, Mm. because the dictionaries aren't really great tools for changing common perception. I know a lot of people think that. I see tons of campaigns uh, to change this dictionary or that dictionary or fix this part of a definition or that part of a definition. And really, to be utterly honest about it, the people that you need to talk to aren't the lexicographers. It's editors and copy editors of periodicals and other publications. These hmm. are the people whose work can really turn around the public's view of what it means to be an introvert. They can flag misconceptions about introversion in writers' work and make sure that it's proper in there. And so if I were running a campaign, I think I would talk to the style guide writers and not the dictionary writers. Oh, that's so interesting. I I think I would campaign more on Facebook, actually. I think I've come to understand introverts probably more in the last year than I have. How would you do it on Facebook? Just uh, 
well, post I see, funny images or I see lots. Page. I mean, I don't know if you you see these, Katie, but I see lots and lots of um, articles about about this is how I really am. This is how to treat me. You don't need to treat right. me. This, mm-hmm, you know, and, mm-hmm. and posters and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. I mean, but I think Grant and I are both making the same point, which yeah. is that is that the dictionary definition is not what's going to change people's perception. I got to say, it's really interesting how different the dictionary definitions are for introvert and introversion. And what's really mm. interesting to me, I actually worked on some of the Cambridge Dictionary. So the one that you, the definition that you cite is from a learner's dictionary. And those mm. are by necessity really brief. And mm. because they have a limited vocabulary, they can't get very technical. Um, they tend to be really general and they can't get specific. So the proposed definition that you've got here wouldn't fly in any dictionary that I've ever edited. The main difficulty right. is that last part where it says due to a difference in the way sensory input is processed in the introvert's brain. That's mm-hmm. encyclopedic. Yeah. That's not a thing yeah, that dictionary is ever going to include. But the first part, I think, is really solid. An introvert is someone who has a preference for minimally stimulating environments. And what it does really effectively leaves out judgment. And, and it doesn't have anything to do with their motives or their intentions. Yeah, or have their brains. Yeah, or their, yeah, yeah. I agree. But, and I think even some, some scientists would might argue with the part of the proposed definition about uh, mm-hmm. the way sensory <laughs> input is processed. Processed itself, that word has a lot of problems and probably Agreed. would be, w- would be avoided. It's a vague and overbroad. Yeah. And, yes. But again, so, um, so if you want to go back to this website, to this community of people that you found that you know, really speak to your introversion, I would counter-propose that they start working in different avenues that have nothing to do with the dictionary. I mean, there's a nice thing about getting a dictionary company to listen to you. You feel heard, right? Yeah. They recognize your status as a group. You feel right. like, oh, yeah, I, I do have a voice. They, they sent me a response. But I got to tell you, dictionaries, they get bombarded all the time by giant companies with huge squads of lawyers who have no effect. <laughs> None. You know, right. they almost never, ever... Mm-hmm give in to any of these campaigns because all that the dictionary makers look at is the evidence. How does the world use the word introvert? And that's what they're writing a definition for. Go back to your community and propose that they work on this campaign, only just not target the dictionary editors because it's kind of a lost cause. Well, I think that's a great idea. Okay. Katie, I think introverts all over are thanking you right now. They're high-fiving you. So. Well, I'm so glad. So yeah, we appreciate we're united your... separately in our own home. Exactly. <laughs> united separately in your own homes. Thanks, Thank Katie. you so much for calling. Take care now. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Call us with your language question, 877-929-9673, or send it an email to words at waywardradio.org. We've heard about man caves. Do you have a man cave, Grant? Uh, I've got a tiny spot in the garage yeah. that's mostly storage. Yeah, your office. Yeah, kind yeah, of. Yeah, man cave is, is a place that the guy yeah. retreats in the Somehow house. Somehow I think the yoga ball makes it not a man cave. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, another term I'm tracking these days is the female equivalent. She shed. She shed. Have you heard that one? No. She shed. I mean, ideally something outside the house. Right, right. But uh, yeah, women are making their she sheds. Hmm. Do you have one? Uh, Your whole my, house? My whole, Every place yeah. you live? <laughs> <laughs> my whole domicile is a she shed. It's been referred to as the it. lair. Yes. Eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. More conversation about what we say and how we say it. Stay tuned. Hey, we've got something special for those of you who love our show but could do without the ads. That's right. Imagine a way with words, the same engaging conversations, the same deep dives into language without advertising interruptions. We're talking about our ad-free podcast feed. It's sleek, clean, and it's just for our supporters. It's at waywardradio.org slash ad-free. It's inexpensive, easy to sign up for, and works with all major podcast apps like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. 
It's an affordable way to support the show and get a seamless listening experience. And if you're feeling generous, why not give a subscription to another Away With Words fan? That's waywardradio.org slash adfree. Sign up today. Your support means the world. waywardradio.org slash adfree. Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. Grant, you and I both enjoy reading advice about writing from other writers. Mm -hmm. And I had some that I wanted to share with you. This is from the book by Ann Patchett called This is the Story of a Happy Marriage. And it's part memoir, part advice. came out a couple of years ago. And she has some really good observations about what it takes to make a good writer. If you want to write, practice writing. Practice it for hours a day, not to come up with a story you can publish, but because you long to learn how to write well, because there's something that you alone can say. Does this sound like a lot of work without any guarantee of success? Well, yes, but it also calls into question our definition of success. Playing the cello, we're more likely to realize that the pleasure is the practice, the ability to create this beautiful sound, not to do it as well as Yo-Yo Ma, but still to touch the hem of the gown that is art itself. I got better at closing the gap between my hand and my head by clocking in the hours, stacking up the pages. Somewhere in all my years of practice, I don't know where exactly, I arrived at the art. And then she circles back to an idea that she's mentioned before, which is the notion that you can have this great work of art in your head, but whatever you end up writing never turns out to be never, ever. as good. You know, it's just a pale, flawed imitation. But I really love the way that she puts it. She says... I never learned how to take the beautiful thing in my imagination and put it on paper without feeling I killed it along the way. I did, however, learn how to weather the death, and I learned how to forgive myself for it. And then she goes on, forgiveness, the ability to forgive oneself. Stop here for a few breaths and think about this, because it is the key to making art and very possibly the key to finding any semblance of happiness in life. Great. What book was that again? The book is called This is the Story of a Happy Marriage by Ann Patchett. There's an interesting thing that you said at the top that I wanted to talk about. We like writing advice. And I think of writing advice as being like prayer. You don't just do it once, right? You mm. have to keep keep practicing keep absorbing the ideas of other people mm -hmm. constantly. There's no mm -hmm. one great idea that's going to set you off. You're constantly getting input from other better writers on mm -hmm. how to be better mm -hmm. as a writer yourself. Mm -hmm. Or as I always say, my dad used to say, milk all the cows you can and then churn your own butter. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's it. We'd love to hear your favorite passages of writers giving advice, the stuff that motivates you, or a new book that really turned you on and, and changed your mind about some things that you were doing well or doing poorly. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, Grant and Martha. This is Nicole Spalbuck calling from Sublime and Sunny, Portland, Oregon. Oh, Sublime and Sunny. Ooh, nice. 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 Hello, Nicole. <laughs> you work for the Tourism Bureau, right? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> um, my question regards the saying that my great Aunt Helen, Annie Honey, as we lovingly referred to her, she deserves that nickname in every way. Um, she was my Nana, my grandmother's sister, and a oh. cryptographer in the Korean War, actually. Ooh. Okay. The term she often used, well, she had many terms, um, is biz bag. And for some context, uh, when she was moving to her retirement home, my mom was helping her clean out her closet and asked her to give a thumbs up or a thumbs down to keep things or to get rid of them. Mm -hmm. And to keep, it was fine, but she said biz bag for anything in the discard pile. I have no idea how to spell this, Um and I'm wondering if there's actually any definition for this term or where she would have picked it up. Mm -hmm. Biz bag. So B-I-Z-B-A-G? That's how I'm spelling it, oh. but we don't really know. <laughs> okay. And she's no longer with you to ask? She's not, no, okay. unfortunately. Um, but this is something that my mom and I still talk about, sort of the Annie-Honey-isms. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, and it's one of those things where I'm really curious because I'd like to sort of keep it alive and some of the things that 
you know, my family has said. Um, no, I can tell you, I used to use that term all the time. Put it in the biz bag. <laughs> yes. And you know why? Because it comes from a commercial in the 1970s. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> for, for biz stain and odor eliminator. In fact, you can go online. You should do this, Nicole. You and your mom should go online because th- there are um, videos of some of those commercials where they, where they talk about putting stuff in the biz bag. Yeah. You know, they're sorting through clothing and, and the really, really badly stained. So the stuff with the grass stains or yeah, blood or something goes yeah, in the biz bag. Yeah, that goes in the biz bag. And I can remember when I was quite young... Um, I don't know if there was another commercial that made us do this, but if we w- wanted to reject any idea or anything, my friends and I would all say, eh, biz bag. And I think that might have been an imitation of another yeah. commercial, but I've never been able to find it, this this buzzer sound. There are probably people listening so right now biz who are is remembering a, this. is a stain-removing detergent, right? Yeah, it's yeah. A brand. I think you can still buy it. I think it. you yeah. can, yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> you were hoping for something more exciting, right? That's sort of the last thing that I would think of when I think of Annie Honey. It's like watching TV or remembering commercials. It must have been really I mean, effective. She's a woman who loved puzzles and haiku and uh-huh. reading. I don't ever associate her with like watching TV. Well, maybe she picked it up from somebody else who watched television. Yep, it just has to do with sorting laundry. <laughs> Nice. Okay. Well, <laughs> I will tell my mom that. And okay. uh, yeah, then my dad does the laundry in the house, so he will put things in the biz bag. Oh, okay. Go. Very good. Very good. Well, Thanks, call us Nicole. sometime yeah. with uh, some more Annie Honeyisms. All right. Thank you so much. Take okay. Bye bye. Bye. Eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. Email words at waywardradio.org. If you want to meet a bunch of people just like you, go to our Facebook group and hit us up on Twitter. W a y w o r d. Here is a bit of slang from the 19th century that I don't know would work today. It's nanty-narking. Nanty-narking. <laughs> nanty, I don't know. Yeah, that's, Complaining about nothing? That's pretty good. <laughs> it's not exactly it. What mean, is it? Tell me. Well, nanty-narking is great fun. Oh, that was nanty-narking. Oh. And you can spell that N-A-N-T-Y or N-A-N-T-E. So, so my definition wasn't anything like that. Why did you say? Well, no, because lexicographer Jonathan Green has done some research on this and found that this is probably an old sense of narc, meaning to annoy. Mm-hmm. And the nanty, as you suggested, is nothing like Italian niente. And also in French. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So so it's nothing annoying. Mm. It's, it's um, you know, which means great fun. No, I see the absence of annoying things. Exactly. Got you. Exactly. This show is nanty-narking. Send us your emails to words at waywardradio.org and talk to us on Twitter at wayward. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, Martha. This is Hillary. I'm calling from Cleveland, Ohio, and I have a question about a word. Well, great, Hillary. Bring it. Shoot, what you got? So the word is yuppie. And um, my husband and I were talking because he had read an article about a new word that was trying to get created, which was yucky. And they said that they came up with this word because of the root of the original word, which was yuppie, which came from young urban professionals. Mm -hmm. And that just sounded interesting to me that young urban professionals was translated into yuppie. Mm -hmm. So I had a question if that's where it really came from. And what's a yucky? A young urban creative. So Ah. they're saying that that's a new word that they want to sort of create because people aren't young urban professionals anymore, but they're young urban creatives. Okay. Okay. And does that include you and your husband? Um, I mean, I guess so. They're trying to do away with the word hipster. Uh Um, So they're trying to bring in this new culture of we're young and professional, but we're still creative. So I guess that's <laughs> yeah. Because yucky doesn't sound <laughs> yucky doesn't sound negative at all. Yeah. What? <laughs> right. I know. I wouldn't want to be called a yucky, but that's just me. Right. Professional, but creative. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know about that. Yeah, word. yuppie is from young urban professional. The first use that we have in print is from 1980. There was a yep. writer for Chicago Magazine named Dan Rottenberg, and I've actually talked to him about the word yuppie, and he okay. is always really honest to say, "I did not invent this word. It was floating in the air." I don't mm. know who I got it from, but he is so far the first use that we found of yuppie in print. 
straight up from the beginning in 1980, it's used the same way that we use it today, which is young people who've got jobs, maybe they haven't started a family yet, they're really focused on a household, they're really focused on like um, great living quarters and a great living environment and um, building their careers. I remember when that was a brand new shiny word and and everybody was using it, but now, do, I mean, really, do people, people do still... use it totally? Yuppie is totally. It's it's. I thought yuppies grew up and became old, you know. What? Curmudgeonly, you know. <laughs> people closer to tights? our age. <laughs> what are you saying about well, me? And I was talking with my mom about it, and she said that it was really popular in the '90s with another word also, which was dink. Yeah. yeah. Double income, no kids. Right. Yeah. Or dual and income, no kids. Yeah. Also, uh-huh. you still use, but it really yeah. just depends what field you're in. Like, if you're in marketing, these terms are everywhere. So, you think oh, that, really? nice that generation, hands. we're going to have generation after generation of yuppies? I thought I maybe know. it would sort of go the way of. I, I don't, don't know. know. No, but it, it's a great identity. It's, it's that particular period post college when you're yeah. building a career and you haven't yet started a family and you really have okay. all of this money that you're putting into a household or that you're putting into savings or you're putting into buying nice things like the really nice espresso machine, that mm-hmm. sort of stuff, that particular time of your life. But now they're Malpies. Malpies. Or Malpies. They're, they're middle-aged oh, urban professionals. Yeah, well, I don't or know. Or maybe they're suburban. I don't, I don't know. Do you think it's kind of moved away because we kind of live in a culture now where students aren't getting jobs right out of college and things oh. like that, and they aren't making all that money right There's away? There's a question. <laughs> well, our our some engineer aren't. Is, is high-fiving so, us. Some aren't, there. but many are. I, you know, the things, yuppie is still used. It still refers to a particular type of person. Person. And it spawned a lot of der- derivative terms, and most of them have failed to catch on. I'm surprised you don't hear dink more because I feel mm-hmm. like now nowadays it's more accepted that people are double income, yep. no kids. Yep, I agree with and you. And so that's there, surprising Hillary. to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So. I, th- I think that seems to have more. Well, Hillary, thanks for the call. Really appreciate it. Thank you. It was great talking to you. I've added guys. yucky to my word file list just <laughs> Good, to keep track I'm glad. of it. All right. <laughs> Thank thanks, you. Hillary. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Twitter handle is wayward, and you can find us on Facebook. I was thinking about Nicole from Portland's call about BizBag uh-huh. and her aunts who used that term. And I think I got caught up on the cryptographic term and thought about burn bag. Burn bag. Yeah, in the, That's in, when you burn the clothes. Well, no. In the, <laughs> in the secret world, supposedly, at least what I've read, a burn bag is where you put important papers that literally go in the incinerator so that the enemy doesn't get them. Yeah, you yeah. can't put them out with the recycling or in mm-hmm. with the trash. So mm-hmm. there's got this security officer whose job is to go around for everybody's small burn bags and put them in the big burn bag and the uh-huh. whole thing goes in the incinerator. And there's all kinds of check sheets to sign off on uh-huh. and evidence and proof and uh-huh. stuff. And even like scraping through the ashes to make sure everything burned up. Yeah, so I was yeah. wondering if maybe that that's why she thought it came from ah, the cryptographic uh-huh, years, uh-huh. right? Yeah, it could be. Because bag sounds a little like burn back. Right. What is it? Burn after reading? What's that <laughs> Something expression? like that. I don't know. I'm Mission Impossible, right? Yeah, the stuff goes right. up in flames as soon <laughs> yeah, as you Yeah, right. It. The little tape recorder <laughs> with the reels. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it really is, I'm yeah, sure. <laughs> really. 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi. Hi. How are you? Doing well. Who's this? Hi, this is Jonathan. I'm calling from Santa Monica, California. Hey, Jonathan. Hi. Welcome. Welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? Doing well. Are you out on the pier? <laughs> I wish. No, I'm actually at the office. I live in the valley, but I'm, I work in beautiful, sunny Santa Monica. Oh, okay. Nice. All right. Well, <laughs> what what's we on your you? mind? Oh, one of the questions that I had was, which I had posted on the your Facebook page and got quite a bit of action, was the word Mao. Uh, originally, I spelled it M-A-U, but I, I gave in to the, uh, to the crowd, and it's M-O-W, but spelled spelled like Mo, but pronounced Mao, rhymes mm-hmm. cow. And the context where this word came into play, I've been using this word as if I didn't really think of it as a slang word or a regional word, just, but I've been using it my whole life. It came into play... Uh, a couple of months ago, I was at a board game conference, and we were eating dinner, and there was a tournament that was going to start. So my friend says, oh, we have to hurry. So I told her, go ahead, save my place. I'm going to mouth this down real quick, and I'll be right with you. And she looked at me like I had three heads. <laughs> <laughs> So my curiosity on that was, you know, and I, I, I'm not one to just, I, I love to look things up and do my homework on it. So I did some research on it. I found some things in the, uh, in the, um, 
was at the Urban Dictionary, mm-hmm. and one of the entries said uh, it had exactly the definition that I know, which is to eat something down real quick mm-hmm. with with uh, with great fervor. And it said that it's regionally from the Northeast, so I was curious about that. And I had people replying from all over the country using that word. Some people said it was only used by younger people under thirty, and uh, not to give away my age, but I've been using this since the eighties. <laughs> but but, you, but you're not from California, right? I'm not originally from California. I grew up in Long Island, New York. Yeah, mm, yeah we heard that. <laughs> can, you can hear the uh, accent. Yeah. Bit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's really, I, I don't have this. I don't have no, mouth. No. Now, I might say, I might understand you saying I want to mow this food down, meaning like eat it really fast, like a mower would, would take down grass. <laughs> but I, no, Mao. It reminds me of housing. Yeah. I'm going to house this hamburger. I mean, I have right. hay Mao, which is the place where you store hay in the barn, but I don't. <laughs> huh. You don't think it's just onomatopoetic? Mow, 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 mow. Maybe. Like, no, Maybe. No, 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 that's no, not bad. No. That's not bad. I mean, I've also thought of of, of maw, you know, being you know, yeah, a giant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, and, and some of the people had replied back um, using the word scarf, and I've heard of scarfing down. Usually mm-hmm. it's, it's mow as in mow down. You know, just, uh-huh. I'd never say I'd mow this food, but I'd say, yeah, let me mow this down real quick. It would be the way I would use it. I saw that discussion on the Facebook group, and what was really interesting to me is I'm pretty sure that everyone who spells it M-O-W they wouldn't mow the grass in the yard, but they would mow food, right? Right. Exactly. So they have these two pronunciations for the same spelling. Yeah. Well, English is famous for that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. English is a mess. I mean, <laughs> we're, we're here to sort it out. <laughs> um, Jonathan, i got to say, I think I, this was somebody just tossed this out for responses to the listeners and to see who has mow, like you would mow some food, that meaning to mm-hmm. eat really fast, and who doesn't. Uh, give us a call, 877-929-9673, or email us about it, words at waywardradio.org. Try us on Twitter, W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Uh, we'll see what kind of response we get. We'll just elaborate on that conversation from the Facebook group, all right? Oh, yeah. So let me ask you, what would you, what word would you use in for that same situation? Chow. I mean, I think this came up in the discussion. I would chow down, like, to just meaning to really just, like, put my head down and just, like, shoveling it in, like, yeah, feeding coal to a fire. Eat noisily but, and things sort of flying and, yeah. Yeah. So I, might, chow, I might scarf food. Chow um, down. Yeah. The scarf. <laughs> Shovel it in, right? <laughs> Shovel it in. Yeah. yeah. yeah and, but we'll yeah, see like what I other said. listeners say and um, follow up on it. Thanks for your call. Really appreciate it. See you on the Facebook group. Thank you group. so much. You have a wonderful day. You I too. love your show. I love to keep oh, thanks, hearing man. it. So. Really hey, thanks get a more lot. Supporters. Bye-bye. <laughs> bon appetit. So let's do this for Jonathan. Ciao. Do you say mow down if you mean to eat a lot of food really fast? Give us a call, 877-929-9673, or email words at waywardradio.org. I like this little term from the 1909 volume, Passing English of the Victorian Era. It's fly rink. Fly rink. Where would flies fly down and skate around? Uh, your head? A polished bald head. A bald yes. head, a fly rink. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Some of my best friends have fly rinks. <laughs> yes. Yes, I know that guy very well. <laughs> 877-929-9673. Want more of A Way With Words? Listen to years of past episodes at waywardradio.org or find the show in any podcast app or iTunes. The toll-free line is always open, so leave a message at 877-929-9673 and we'll take a listen. We love to get your messages at words at waywardradio.org or hit us up on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D and look for us on Facebook. This program would not be possible without you. Martha and I are out to change the way we listen and think about language, and you're making it happen. Thanks also to senior producer Stephanie Levine, director Colin Tedeschi, and editor Tim Felton in San Diego. In New York, we thank production wizard James Ramsey, quiz guy John Chinesky, and that master of keeping it real, Paul Ruist at Argo Studios. Away With Words is an independent production of Wayward, Inc. From the Track Recording Center at Studio West in San Diego, I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. Thank you. Bye-bye. So long.